Let's dive right in. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Dinner with Dev podcast. We have not been here in a very long time, but we are here now and that's all that matters. Uh, Dinner with Dev here, your resident drinking buddy and munchie partner in crime. And today I am joined by a very special old friend of mine, Aviana, (laughs) or Avi, better known, her stage (laughs) name. Though I always like to call you by your your full name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For those of you that have never heard it, we used to slate when we were in school. Aviana Rodriguez Brown. (laughs) What about the Maria Naleja? Oh, you're right. I sure did use my whole name. And also look at me a little wild. Like you're not gonna be using your whole name. But I think Aviana Marie Leja Rodriguez Brown. Yes. I haven't heard that in a long time. That felt good. Um, I think Pierre was the only one who used all of your names, but uh, it became a thing. (laughs) Well, yeah, so Avi and I um, met many years ago in college at performing arts school, and um, now she's here today to join me so we can have one of our more serious conversations on Dinner with Dev. We do a lot of uh, dicking around and joking and such, but... There's a, exactly. Um, Avi's jerking her off. (laughs) There's a lot. (laughs) We're starting off good. We're good. Uh, There's a lot going on in the world right now. And um, I think before we get to dick jokes and cocktails and things of that nature, we should have a serious conversation about it. I also don't think this should be our last. I hope that you'll come again and that we can do this another time because the conversation never ends. Um, Yeah, so uh, Avi and I met in school. We both went to this this performing art conservatory in New York City. And um, yeah, (laughs) we we both went there. It was an interesting time to be alive. You were actually one of the first friends that I made there. You and Nick were like my first friends. Yeah. So kind of a weird thing. We want to, we're here today to talk about race. It's Mm -hmm. been everywhere. You can't really... There's no way to look away at this point um, if you have been in the past. Um, So, yeah. And one of the things we'll dive right in since we're talking about school, um, I was telling Avi today that I saw our school get kind of blasted on Instagram by a lot of people that we graduated with, which like, hey, yeah, like I was very proud to see some uh, users that I follow on Instagram blowing them up in the comment section. (laughs) I, I want to ask you, like, what was, because I'm white, so, like, I can't say that I was completely, I definitely, I, it's not that I didn't know that it was happening, because, like, I definitely did a little bit, but I certainly wasn't as privy to it as I'm sure you were. Um, what was your experience like at our school with that? It's interesting because... <laughs> Real quick, just to break it down for people, at an arts conservatory, you don't have regular classes. Like We didn't take math. We didn't take history, any of that mumbo-jumbo. We all were there for a very specific, um, concentrated course. We were in classes from like 8 a.m., sometimes 7 a.m. If you went to that extra early class, sometimes through <laughs> like 7 p.m. And right. we traveled as a cohort. So like Dev and I happened to be in the H group. Um, was it from the beginning yeah was it just from the first year was it just third semester I think that we were in okay 
I yeah. honestly, it feels so long ago. I can't I, remember, I, but I, yeah. you travel as a cohort. So 20 to 25 kids all travel together and sure. They try to do like a mix. I would say we had one international student who was from Mexico. Shout out Tabasco, Mexico. Right. Um, Manuel. <laughs> <laughs> and we had one, two, three black American students from all over. One mm-hmm. from Georgia. Where was Sharice from? Um, can't recall at this very moment. And myself, I'm from Seattle, Washington. And I will say that it's something that I reflect on. I had to explain because I reflect on it a lot because race is such a prevalent conversation right now. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I was actually coming to understand myself as a black female bodied person. I grew up in a Latin household. So being black was not something that was talked about. It was actually very much not talked about. And mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, we love you. Or if there were conversations about race in my household, it'd be like, those blacks, oh, but not you, mija. So there was a lot of disassociation in my brain already that was instilled in me from my family life. Wow, yeah. And so even if I had experienced things in the moment, at that time, I did not register them as, oh, this is a racist act. Oh, someone is being, you know, giving me um, a microaggression of some sort. And so in the last few years, just in recognizing myself as a black female body person, I've been able to play back some of those moments and just be like, hmm, it really was inappropriate for this white gay male teacher to be telling me these things because somehow he felt he was marginalized enough to point out my marginalized self. Right. And so um, I would think that there were a lot of those sort of moments where it was like, oh, you're not acting black enough um, or you're not telling the story authentically enough. And I was, it was interesting for me because AMDA did, oh, the school's name's AMDA. We haven't said it yet. But. We didn't say it, but I guess we're saying it. <laughs> My bad. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Well, look, it's fine. Yeah. We're not hiding anything. It's it's public. It's on the internet. If you want to go look at their Instagram, you can. Anyway, go on. Yeah. Um, uh, the school was, um, <clears throat> there, were no co- there were no colored teachers of any sort, actually, now that I think back to it, every single teacher or instructor, voice lesson giver, they were all white. And so um, to be learning through a scope that has no lens for you is already a hard thing. You're already learning something through someone else's experience and expectations. And so very much so the, the school teaches you that there's a box you live in and you're not supposed to go out of that box. For example, right. I should never go to an audition where there, it's not called for a black female body right. person. Yeah. And so that's or you just should what never do in- a song that's sung by a white character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they talk about it as, as if it's very nonchalant, like, oh, that's just These the are wrong just the thing rules. to do. Yeah. These, right. Yeah. This is just the way it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of... Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, please. Uh, there's a lot of, there was a lot of that. And especially for me, like I said, trying to understand myself just as a black person, it was like, oh, here are these stories of, you know, a woman coming out of slavery. I, I remember one song, it was from a musical, Dessa Rose, which I recently uh, paid tribute to on my own Instagram, which is at smiling underscore Avi. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
it, it's a story of a runaway slave who was pregnant, ends up at a woman's farm who technically she could be considered a conductor on the Underground Railroad, though she did not agree with what was happening. Okay. But she wasn't actively helping slaves escape. That was the story, just to clarify. And um, the woman has her child passes out, and it just so happens that this white woman who owns the farm also just had a baby. So she's, her breasts are, you know, giving milk. So she starts breastfeeding this black woman's baby, and the woman wakes up and is angry. Like, how dare you? What right. You? She's like, well, you know, your baby may not have survived if I didn't feed it. And she's like, but that's not your choice. How dare you? Who said I wanted it to survive in this world that we live in? And it was just, um, again, not coming from those experiences, not really owning that as my experience. Right. I had a lot to work through, but my professors, quote unquote, were very much like, oh, you need to live this. You need to be this. You need right. to own this. You need to give us the whole story. And I was like, I don't even know the whole story. Yeah, right. And so there was, no, there was no work to be done on that and really like how to take my own experience because there was a lot of, oh, well, yeah, you've never had a kid yet. So you just got to imagine it. You know, you got to right. have that experience of your own and tag it onto this. And it was just like, but I also have never been a black slave yeah do I know that narrative enough to portray this character so when I asked to change my song choice uh I was told that I shouldn't give up that I should persevere through it that I should work through it and that if I was cast in the role I wouldn't be able to say no and I was just like oh well I guess right an interesting an interesting thing that you said too about how um like our teachers, especially, you know, because we did have a lot of gay male teachers, um, felt marginalized enough to say things like that to you. I think there is a lot of that. And I'm sure I've been guilty of it before, too, where it's like, okay, well, I'm white, but I'm a woman. So I've been, you know, I have the, I've been trespassed against as well, or, you know, same thing with gay guys. I'm white, but I'm gay. So I have my, you know, but none of those things are really the same, you know, just because I'm a female and I've been, um, you know, uh, scrutinized for being female or whatever, or objectified or whatever it is, that's gotten, I'm still white. That has nothing to do with experiences that you've had that have to do with being, a woman who's also of mixed race. Um, and I think that's interesting that you said that because I think there is a feeling of like, well, I have this too. I'm a minority as well. And it's like, it's really not the same shit. It's just not. It, it isn't. Um, and it's, again, a conversation I've had had with my family just recently that they feel, oh, well, you know, um, I'm second generation American on my mother's side. And so these are people who really did experience Mexican, um, Latin segregation and mm-hmm. discrimination. Uh, my grandmother was told they didn't serve her kind at a restaurant when she was pregnant with my mom, you wow. know, so they have experienced their issues and, um, racist acts against them as well. But I've had to explain just because, the black community is calling for acknowledgement right now does not mean that we're not acknowledging your experiences. Of course. We are just saying that 
though we all are experiencing racism, this group right here is it's experiencing especially. it. Yeah, at such a high rate and so publicized yeah. that no one is even bothered by it. Right. And it's really, I mean, it's been going on for years. It's That's right. so wild that it's just continuously been going on since the beginning of slavery. So yeah. it's just... no. And that was over and over and over. Something I did want to talk about too is why this reaction is coming out now. But before we get to that, there is one thing that we were talking about earlier, still talking about school and stuff um, and our teachers. And I want to ask you this because I don't think I really ever knew how to react to it. And it wasn't my place necessarily to react, even though I definitely felt cringy. We were talking about when you and I were in the same group and we had classes together, a specific professor, <laughs> which, who I believe uh, no longer is at the school. And oh, a lot of people had grief. Yeah, a good thing. It is a good thing. A lot of people had grief with this specific professor. Um, he kind of had a reputation, if you will, but older, white, gay man. He was just, you know, he had the rep for being this like hard as nails, will fuck with anybody. People would get in fights with him, this and that kind of teacher. Um, and I'm, he was an acting teacher and he had assigned us or, you know, we had picked scenes, whatever it was that we were all working on every week. And your scene... <clears throat> with a few other of our um, African-American students in our class, um, you guys did a scene from Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And Tennessee we, Williams. Yes, Tennessee Williams, amazing play, but is a essentially a white-only cast, um, mm-hmm. or they're all written to be white at least. Um, okay. So our teacher, in his like interesting way of doing things, used to, when he would call you guys up to work on it, he would call it Black Cat. And I was always like, this isn't like, this can't be okay. But then you could argue too that it's like, okay, well, that was unconventional casting. Isn't that a good thing? But I'm one, I want to know what, what you felt about that and what you thought. <laughs> because there, I would always look around like, this can't be okay. Well, I want to say that we didn't get to choose our partners, if I remember right. correctly. So we were assigned partners yeah, and then we right. were told to go find a scene for mm-hmm. the partners that we had. Yes. And um, so again, there was one, two, three, four of us, I believe. What was it? You, George? Oh, I just yeah. always... George was in yeah, our Yeah, because George was so good. He was brick and he was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Pierre and Sharice and myself. Okay. So five of us. Can I count? I think that's five. <laughs> and um, and it was so hard in, in itself, just finding a scene with five people in it. It's like majority of the time, if just if, in case people don't know how plays are. Oh, wait a minute. I lost you on audio. One, two, three, oh, four okay. people, but most. Oh, sorry. You lost me. You're back. You're good. You're good. Okay. Most of the time you have scenes where it's just a few people together, maybe three, but when you have five or more people in a scene, it's usually the climax of the story. Right. And if I remember correctly, this was the climax of the story. And when we brought this piece again, written by a black man. So we thought, Oh, of course, duh, this is for us to do. I can't even say that I even read the, what would have been the conventional casting Mm -hmm. because I was like, 
five people. We got it. I think right. we were like at the very end. Right. It was China just like Pine. anything. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Yeah. So we brought like two or three things and he's like, Hmm, this will be interesting. That's all he said. And oh, it was God. like, yeah, do this one. And so <laughs> we worked on it and we did what we could to do it. And, um, personally, you were right. I think it, it turned out really great, but I can't say yay or nay about whether or not referring to it as black cat was appropriate because I, 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 again, I have to bring it to my own experience, not acknowledging race in my opinion is worse than acknowledging it. Okay. Yeah. And so if he had just been mm-hmm. like cat on a hot tin roof, sure. That would have sufficed because that is exactly what the play is called. Right. But by acknowledging that this is through the scope of the black people performers about to tell the story, anyone who's under a false impression that they're going to be receiving what was originally written. Because if I remember correctly, we had, I think a visitor teacher in the room at one point too. So that just gets their brain ready for, Oh, you're not about to see what you think you're seeing by yeah. hearing title name, be prepared. It's going to be different. And it's a whole different story. So sit back and listen. Yeah. And I think especially when plays are made for spe- in that place specifically about a race because they are plantation owners. Right. And so it was like a really big deal for us black folks to be performing a story written by a black man about slave owners. Yeah. And so, and fighting over who gets what like mm-hmm. that and because the father's dying. So it's, it's a really intense scene and we have to acknowledge too, just in history, there were black slave owners. A majority of the time it was people buying their own family, but at the end of the day, they still own slaves and they still were black. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, it made the story so intense and it really lived And when we had conversations about it just between us, I don't think we really ever dove into that aspect too far into it. Like, what does it mean to be a black slave owner? But I think doing the acting work in itself just brought a different type of authenticity to it. Yeah. And it was really intense. So the the scene was great. I can't say that it was a bad thing for him to be referring to it again, just because I think that it was important to acknowledge that it's not what you might be thinking it is. Right. And so you should be prepared. Yeah. I mean, for all amazed. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, you know, you got to say for all his shit and I fucking, I'll, I hated that guy. I did not like that dude at all. I was always at odds with him, but for all his shit, it was kind of a progressive thing to do especially because, you know, like we mentioned before, there was so much at school where it was like, that doesn't match your race, gender, um, even like body type, uh, all that kind of stuff is you couldn't do it. You weren't supposed to touch it. This was like, actually, it doesn't match up at all, but you guys did an amazing job with it. And it ended up being so good. It was kind of progressive in his shitty fucking way. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I'd love to, if I could, I'd love to ask him, like, did he do that on purpose to see how the story was going to change through our scope? Or did he do it on purpose to sort of poke at us? And that's really, 
that's the thing about racism and people who have um, racism embedded into them. You don't actually know where their actions are coming from. Yeah. And that's more of the scarier part is like, are you doing this so that you can push my buttons so that you hope I explode and I end up eventually getting kicked out or, you know, um, I have some type of backlash rather than, are you trying to help me grow? Are you trying to do something progressive? Are you trying to X, Y, Z? So it's, it's hard to navigate. Yeah. So moving along a little bit, uh, away from our school, but, Mm -hmm. um, as we were talking about before, um, you know, racism in America has been alive and well for like a real, real long time. Um, since kind of like forever, you could argue, I guess. Um, why do you think that right now it's so prevalent? Because I mean, you know, especially, um, with African Americans being, or people of color being killed by police, that's not new. And I know at least on my end, uh, I see people, on my newsfeed and whatever, who didn't really speak out before that are now suddenly outraged. And there's not to say that there's, there's nothing wrong with joining the movement later or, you know, there's no timeline, but why do you think now, what was it about what's going on right now? And do you think that like us all being in quarantine when so much started hitting the fan, do you think that has something to do with it? Absolutely. I think that one of the things (laughs) Oh, gosh. One of the things that helps this movement be seen is the fact that everyone's sitting at home. Everybody's on their phone all day long. Yeah. And a video hit the Internet of a black man essentially being murdered over a time span of 10 minutes. Yeah. And you're like you're watching traffic go by. You're watching people walk by. You're listening to people yell at the cops. And you're listening to this man struggle to try and survive. Yeah. And um, it's uh, that in itself, just for people who had the ability to continue watching and watched all the way through, it's, it's uh, traumatizing. And it's, um, it's really sad that someone felt like that was okay. Yeah. And um, I think that us being at home definitely made that like that was the first thing that popped up for some people when they turned on Instagram. You know what I mean? It was on everyone's story. It was being reposted and um, just it kept bumping up to the top of your scroll list. So even if you had seen it and you scrolled past it and you closed the app and then you came back two hours later, it was still there. Yeah. If you went to your search engine, it was there and it was just, it was so available. And I think that that's sort of the same thing that happened in regards to like Vietnam war. Yeah. Um, and what we learn about in our history books about like how the media really helped people back home to realize what was happening because they were really on the ground. There was real footage of children being killed of the massacre after the bomb. And so it's just having that right up in your face, you can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. And the, if you just from that, if you went into the wormhole that was. Oh, wait, I lost you. The videos never. The videos 
Okay. The videos never stop because you can just go into a wormhole and just deep dive and find videos every year. Almost. I had to do a, I'm, I'm also in college again, uh, online school. And one of the things we had to do was find a newspaper article and write a review about it, whether how it made us feel or whatever. So I just went to CNN and of course, everything that is currently happening was on there. And I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't, let me find something else. I tried to find something else. I even went like news, top news stories, 2016. I just started looking up random years and every year there was a police killing. Yeah. And I looked up, I want to say about seven or eight different random years. And there was some type of police killing in the news every year. Yeah. And it was like, Hmm. So I've been thinking about that too. Why now? Why here? What's going on? And I honestly just think it's because we're on our phones. We're sitting at home. We're not doing anything. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. A man was killed in the middle of a pandemic. A a woman was killed in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and, and sadly, our, because I have to bring this up because a lot of people who are um, right winged will be like, well, what about black on black crime? You know what? That right. has to do with systematic <laughs> racism that goes all the way back to, again, slavery, uh, yeah. all these things. Like think about Mandingo fighting two men put on in a ring together, one having to kill the other just to survive, both having a family at home, both wanting to live. Right. That like you've ingrained that into us. That's something that's going to be there for a long period of time. But because black men and women, specifically men, cis men, I should say, um, feel attacked by white society, they then go and turn on ourselves. We turn on ourselves. And Mm -hmm. that's why we're seeing a lot of trans men and women also dying majority of the time at the hands of black cis men because they are infuriated and they're scared. And what happens to a scared being who's cornered? So it's just, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, it's hard to, to me, it's very like, it's very cut and dry. I'm, I mean, it's not, and yet it is in a way. It's cut and dry in the sense that to me, it's just like cops are killing black people. Cops are killing people of color. You know, that's, that's it. How can you even really argue something else? But at the same time, there is so much more to it than that. And all cases are so different. Um, I always think back to, because I think... For me, at least, that was when I really started feeling a certain way about all of this. And that's why I wonder now about why everything is so different. But I think about Eric Garner when he was killed. That was like, first of all, the footage of that is so obviously, it's so unnecessary, completely unnecessary violence. And, but it kind of just went away. I mean, he's a name. He's someone that's talked about. Um, as are others that were killed in that time, because that's kind of, at least for me, that's kind of when things really started up again. Um, and now it's like, but it's like nothing came of that really. Not the same way things are happening now. And you're glad the conversation is being had now, but it's like, how were you guys not outraged? Like, you know, six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. 
And if I mean, if you remember, I would say this this last decade, we have been actively, at least the black community has been actively protesting. But the thing that's changed now is the fact that we in our community have banded together to call out other communities who have not been doing anything. And again, because of the black dollar, I want to say, honestly, that's probably one majority of the reasons, but because throughout quarantine, people have been home buying from Amazon, buying from here, buying from there, buying from Target, buying from Best Buy, like just buying online. Right. And the minute that protests started happening, all the buying stopped because people were then focused on something else. Yeah. Now these companies were then called out and said, hey, how do you support us in this time? Yeah. And a lot of companies were actually given 30, I think like five days. Like you got a notice on Monday that said, if you don't post something by this day, we will boycott you. Yeah. We need to see your board of directors. We need to see all the people on your staff. And if there's not a person of color, then you need to change that and give us your plan of action to change that. Um, There's also the We See You movement in the theater community that's happening right now, where it's just like, we see all the injustice that you've been doing. We've been talking. We have been collaborating and understanding that, oh, this is not just a New York problem. This is not just an Atlanta, Georgia problem. This is not just a California problem. And it's not just a Seattle problem. This is a theater industry problem that you believe we are only this thing able to serve this one purpose. No, we are multifaceted and we are um, able to produce and perform in multiple ways. And so we're calling you out to say, do better. Yeah. And so I think that us banding together is one aspect that makes it different and calling out our counterparts, but also the, the white allies who are outraged and who are stepping forward and calling out their constituents and their um, senators and their bosses and friends and family. We've asked for it before, but something about it now is happening. And so keep, keep it going. That's all I can say. It's never going to end if we don't keep pushing. Well, and so speaking of that, um, which I think is probably one of the most important questions that I wanted to ask you today. Um, you know, I'm from Long Island. I've grown up here. I've been in the same town my whole life. And, you know, I come from a, my high school, I graduated with over 600 kids were in my graduating class. Probably about five or six of them were of color. So what, yeah, it's, and it's wild. And I have to say, I, you know, with that being said, I was happy and surprised the day that a Black Lives Matter protest went down the street past my apartment because mm-hmm. I, 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 was, I was surprised. I was surprised to see that from my town, which is a primarily white town. There's a whole lot of Blue Lives Matter shit that goes on out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very surprised, but pleasantly surprised to see that. Um, with that being said, what do you want me to know as an ally? I need you to know that though you are supporting me, your support means nothing if there are no results. And so 
just to post something on your wall or just to post something in your front yard. It, it has to start in your own inner circle. I'm, if I'm having these hard conversations at home with my grandparents and my elders, I urge you and everyone who's listening to continuously have these conversations at home. You can't be mad at your neighbor for putting a Blue Lives Matter uh, sign in their front yard if your uncle who visited you last, you know, on the holiday was wearing a shirt and you didn't say anything about it. Right. That's the thing. It's like so many people can sit in hypocrisy because they don't call out things that are happening in their own homes and in their own families. Yet they can yell out to the heavens that this is wrong, but we have to fix what's going on inside. And I think that another thing is like (laughs) so many, um, so many non people of color, I'll say like that. So fucking many white people, people fucking white people. <laughs> Come on. Well, but that's the thing. There are passing. Right, right, right. No, it's not just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. That's why I'm like people I'm who are, you. yeah. So all light skinned people <laughs> who can sit in that privilege. Um, there are um, a few things that we like to deny are ours to claim. And I think that that's something that, you know, I've had this conversation a bit, but we're not, we want you to acknowledge your bias, your own biases, which are innate in you. They are learned, they are taught in your family, they are absorbed. And whether or not you agree with them, they still sit there. Yeah. So if you're walking down the street and you see a black person approaching you, and you get the urge to move to the other side of the street, stop what you're doing, acknowledge that as a bias, yes. a learned bias that black people are dangerous or somehow you are now in danger because you are on a street with a black person. Like, right. Just acknowledge that fact and then do something about it. It's as simple as smiling and saying hi yeah. Looking this person in the eye and just acknowledging this person as a human being, those small acts start to do changes within yourselves and the people that you interact with on a daily basis. And so it's really important that it's not just on a big scale that you're doing things, but also on the smallest scales, because these are the things that matter most. And these are the things that add up inside people. And so that in itself, that's the the very starting point. There's a lot of action that needs to happen. There's a lot of phone calls and letters and emails and all these things that need to happen. But at the end of the day, if you're not acknowledging your own internal biases, then what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And what easier way than starting with yourself, starting with the people, you know, closest to you. That's even easier that you don't have to feel if you don't, if you feel pressured at the idea of donating or, or protesting or whatever, don't do it then. Start with you and where you're at. Start with your mom, your dad, your, your elders, because, you know, unfortunately, at the end of the day, it is a lot of the time, not all of the time, but it is our elders that this, they grew up in a different time. So they do believe uh-huh. these things and they're passing those things down. And we want to stop that before we have another round of racist assholes for lack of a better term. Oh, no, no, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, I am that, going to, what notes, please tell me. Oh, I was just going to say there's, um, there's a few organizations that I, that no, she's not. 
there's a few organizations that I definitely want to suggest if people do have the means to donate. That yes, they do please donate do. To, though. Yeah, I also <laughs> would love, um, I want to talk about it now, but then I also think, you know, I'm going to be posting about our episode and stuff and, um, I would love to, if you give me, you know, organizations that you like, and um, I'll put some in as well, we'll put uh, places you can donate, um, petitions you can sign. Well, I would love to post a list of that for people who maybe don't know. But yeah, hit me with, hit me with what you like. Mm-hmm. And there's also a, a large, um, we didn't talk about it much. Uh, I talked about it a little, but there's also a, a differential between black cis uh, this being straight um, male lives being talked about and sort of pedestaled in a way. And then there is another group of people who are not even being seen and that's black females. Right. Yeah. And then there's a whole nother group of black queer people, trans people who are not being acknowledged at all. Right. Since this whole thing has started, I want to say that there's been an additional like 50, Oh, I lost you. Uh oh, hold on. You broke up. You got me. Yeah, there you go. Okay. You so I lost um, you. Additional, additional, yeah. There's been about additional like 15 names of people who have died of trans people who have died during this, and unfortunately, because you know, um, I actually don't know if you know, but uh, if you watch Pose on yes. They talk about this a lot, but one of the things that happens when trans people die, their bodies are then property of their families. I don't know if for people who haven't dealt with death, usually the first of kin or right, the next right. of kin are the people that are contacted. But at the end of the day, if that person or those people did not agree with their lifestyle choice and who they have now become, then they misgender them when they pass and they misname them. So these are 15 names that we may know about, but that does not mean that there hasn't been an additional 15 trans people who have died and their right. families have just misgendered them wow. or um, mis, uh, uh, mislabeled them. And so yeah. there's just a whole community of people who are dying and it's, they're not even being talked about. And I appreciate that this, that I, I don't want to say appreciate, but I acknowledge and am saddened by um, George Floyd's death. And I am grateful that there has been so much conversation regarding this incident, but there's so much more that's happening. And there's so many people dying on a daily basis. I think since George Floyd passed, there's been over 130 deaths in the U.S., in regards yeah. to police or protests, people yeah. dying at protests. Right. That, what? What yeah. are you guys Insane. happening out yeah. there? And so there's a lot. And I know that people are scared of the whole defund police, but really, really look into what defunding means because defunding means taking, re- reallocating funds for things that are necessary in the community, retraining, because I have a few friends who are police officers and, you As know, do um, yeah, and the, a lot of their training videos, majority of the assailants that they're trained to 
look for are black or brown. Yeah. Why can't they just be non-colored? And why can't right. we just be talking about a situation versus if this black man comes up to you with this, then it means right. this. No. no, the training needs to be like, and also just the the standard, I think, for the human beings that are allowed to walk around with weapons it has to be raised. I mean, you know, I I can speak for Long Island, but I mean, it's uh, it's not that hard to become a cop out here. You know, it's, and, you know, I, like we both said, we both have friends or family members who are part of um, a police officer, but um, yeah, to not be screening these people so like thoroughly is dumb. I mean, it blows my mind. But yeah, I think that's such a huge thing that has to change is how we're like, who is, who are these people that are being allowed to give to do these things? Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, I know we could go on because as we mentioned, I mean, we could, it is such a layered topic and I hope that you'll do this with me again because um, I do think there's so much more we could touch upon, um, but I'll cut us short today and I hope you will join me another time, Avi. Absolutely. Great and I will share with you links yes. and organizations. Lavender Rights Project is close to my heart. So okay. there's a lot. There's a lot though. Yeah, please. Definitely. Um, yeah. Follow Avi. Check out her stuff at smiling underscore Avi, A-V-I. And you can look at all the stuff we're doing at Dinner with Dev. And um, yeah, join us next time. And also Black Lives Matter and Black Trans Lives Matter. And yeah, that's it. Say, say bye. Bye.